All right, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we would like to dismiss our children to Children's Church. And I personally think you should all sing that I am a priceless treasure the whole way to Sunday school class, because I don't think our volunteers have heard it enough. Right, Liz? Oh, yeah. Lady might have heard it. Laney can go back and lead it in Lane. Let me begin by taking just a moment to say to all of our fathers, our stepdads, our fathers-in-law, our foster dads, um, and any other man who has stepped up in the life of a child, um, thank you and happy Father's Day on behalf of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church. We have a gift for you that we will be handing out at the end of our service as you leave the building. If you are a, any of those people, we would encourage you to take one of those gifts. Or if, if we have some left, and if there is someone that you are going to see today that you would like to give that to on behalf of Tunnel Hill Baptist Church, we would encourage you to do that today. We are celebrating Father's Day today. And because of that, I want to take a breather from the Gospel of Mark, and I want to look at a parable that deals with a father, specifically a father and his two sons. Now, you may assume then, if you didn't already see the, the words on the screen, that we would be jumping to Luke 15 and talking about the prodigal son. But I actually want to venture over to the Gospel of Matthew, to another uh, parable of Jesus that is actually quite similar to the prodigal son. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to be reading verses 28 through to verse 32. And once again, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word of God says this, But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, Go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. The same man came to his second son, and he said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Please be seated. Now, obviously, our verse has some context, but before we get to this, I want to create a scenario that maybe you guys can relate to in the room today. Imagine for just a moment, and, and dads, this could be directed towards you, but I think it is true of everyone in the room. Imagine for a moment that you come home, that you go into the house. Maybe you just got home from work. Maybe you were doing uh, yard work and so you were outside and you've come inside. Maybe you were just running errands and was out and about. But, but for whatever reason, you come into your house and you see your children. Maybe it's one child, maybe it's multiple, sitting around on the couch, watching television, just doing a whole lot of nothing. 
And as that happens, you notice that these same children have left their shoes on the floor, their jackets hanged over pieces of furniture, uh, clothes all around the place. Maybe they've got plates on the floor, cups that are, are empty or maybe only half full that have been abandoned, water bottles that they have started to drink but have not yet finished, but then they have begun to pile up, and just general food all around the room as well. Now, I know this might be a stretch for some parents, but bear with me. You respond to your kids. You say, kids, can you please pick up your clothes? Can you put your dishes in the, the kitchen or put them in the sink, wherever, whatever you do with them? And just generally clean up the living room because you have left a mess. Your kids respond, maybe with an eye roll, maybe with a, a slight huff. Because you're inter interrupting whatever show they're watching at this day and age. And they say, sure, Dad. And you, so you go about your, your, your way. Maybe because of whatever you're doing, you run upstairs, you change clothes, you talk to your spouse, you do whatever it is you got to do, and then you return to the room. Now imagine to your shock and utter surprise that as you return to your, the room, your children have not moved. And the cups are still there, and the plates are still there, and the food is still there, and the clothes are still there, and the shoes are still there, and the jackets are still there, and they are still mindless zombies in front of the television. Maybe, just maybe, you can relate. And you respond in the way that, at the very least, I would respond, which is say, didn't I just tell you to pick up your stuff? Turn off the TV, pick up your stuff right now. God, why is dad always yelling at us? <laughs> Has this ever happened to you? Is it just me? I like that the kids are owning it and not the parents. The kids are like, yep. That happened, maybe that happened this morning. <laughs> I want you to keep that scenario in mind, because I, I have no doubt that in some way, shape, or form, we can all relate to that scenario. And that's pretty much what is happening in our parable today. And so I want to, as we look at this parable, I want us to remember this experience so that we can begin to understand what Jesus is communicating to not only the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests that, that he is talking to, but also to us today. So let's get into it. First off, we want to start with the, the Father. Our passage begins with this quick introduction that says, A man had two sons. This father, from what we can glean from the passage, is he is a landowner. In fact, he owns a vineyard. And these take a lot of work. And it is undoubted, it is undoubted at this time that he would have had things like slaves and bondservants. And they would have also been working in the field. And they would have also, but he wanted his sons to go into the vineyard to do work. Now, all of this terminology would have been very familiar to these people that he's talking to, because he's talking to the like religious high ups. He is talking to scribes and chief priests. He is talking to people that should know their Bible, should know their Old Testament, should know the law. 
And so when he begins to use these terms, immediately they are understanding who is who in this parable. The father in our parable, the one that, that, that we're talking about right now, is undoubtedly God the Father. They know this. This is not hidden to them in mystery. But the Father is God the Father, and the vineyard represents something a little bit different than may what we usually think about when we think about the vineyard and how it's portrayed. We actually talked about this a while back in the Gospel of Mark. Because the vineyard often, and like in Isaiah 5 and a few other places in Scripture, is talking about Israel itself. And in one sense, it is talking about Israel. But the focus of our parable is not so much on the vineyard, but the work that needs to be done at the vineyard. And so these Pharisees and these chief priests and these people that, that are higher up in the religious world, these scribes, they're understanding that when he's talking about the work of the vineyard, He's talking about doing the things of God. If we could understand that maybe a little bit better today is the kingdom. Doing the work of the kingdom. I want you to go and I want you to work. I want you to serve in the kingdom. I want you to go out and do what needs to be done in order to reap a harvest. Now we get this today as we have been talking a great deal about this, getting the gospel to every home in our community, that we have to go and we have to work in our field in order to reap a harvest. Finally, we see these two sons, our two final main points of this story. And these two sons are going to represent two groups of people. Now, Jesus identifies those groups of people for us, so we don't need to do any guessing work. One group of people is the people he's talking to. It is the Pharisees. It is the, the chief priests and the scribes and, the, and the, the religious experts of their day. But the other group he refers to as the tax collectors and the prostitutes. We could just as easily use this, this terminology. This was something Matthew used a lot to just represent sinners. Typically, Jewish people who were outside of the Jewish community because of what they did for a living. So what is the question that the father asks of his sons? More specifically, what does he actually want? This is when the scenario from earlier makes a great deal. Let's just say for a moment, let's assume for just a bit that maybe that scenario that I gave to you earlier has maybe possibly at some point happened in my life. Just bear with me. I know that's just crazy to think of knowing my children. But let's assume that something like that's happened. Was my desire of my children for them to actually pick up the room or did I just need some verbal affirmation from my kids upon walking into the room that I could hear them say, sure thing, dad. Which do you think I wanted? Did you think I wanted them to actually clean up their mess? Or do you think I just needed to hear them say that they would? I wanted them to actually pick up the room. I know we're Baptists, so we don't always respond to questions. But when I come in there, I don't necessarily need a lot of verbal affirmation from my kids in that moment. I didn't need them to say, you know what, Dad? Thanks for noticing. 
I really appreciate you trying to give me a, 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 a better handle on life and those life skills that are going to really help me out in the future. Good job, Dad. <laughs> Guys, stand up. Good job. I wanted them to pick up their junk. Because I don't want ants and who knows what other creatures living in my house because they leave a mess behind. I already have those three creatures living in my house. That's enough. See, the father wanted obedience, not affirmation. He wanted them to do what he asked them to do. And guys, the same is true for God. In fact, if we go to 1 Samuel 15, we find the prophet Samuel in a conversation with King Saul. And Saul has disobeyed God by offering the sacrifice himself because of his impatience. And Samuel responds to his actions in this way. Does the Lord have such a delight, or excuse me, does the Lord have as much a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. Make no mistake, God is calling us, even today in the new covenant, to obedience as well. And that's why it is important for us to look at the responses of these two sons. As we look at the first son, we see that he responds in this way. He says, I do not want to. And yet afterwards, he regrets it. And he went. We find this in verse 29. The initial response of the first son is to resist his father's command. And I'll be honest with you, I, this is one that, that when I kind of internalize it and I kind of make it my own, I have a problem with that. Because I, I just, when I hear a kid tell their parents no, it is like nails on a chalkboard to me. And it, it happens, it happens with, with kids around here and around schools and, and just in life. And it happens with my own kids. And there are times where I tell my children to do something and maybe because they're angry or, or in the heat of the moment or whatever, I get a no. And it doesn't go well for them, I'm not going to lie. I remember as a child, and I don't mean to kind of do that, where back in my day. But I remember as a child, I told my dad no one time. And I did not get a chance to regret it and then get back on track because my dad grabbed me by my shirt collar. Mostly after that, I just kind of saw the world in a blur and I got a spanking. I didn't say no to my dad after that, at least not to his face. But in our passage, we're not really, but so just put it in perspective. I told no to my dad as about as a five-year-old. This is probably an adult. This is probably a young man, might already have his own family, might even, um, you know, be living his own life, but he is still on his father's property and works for his dad, knowing that one day he will inherit that vineyard, or at least part of it. Jesus doesn't actually give us any details regarding the man or, or the father or anything like that. But we do know that the man could have had a million excuses of why he didn't want to go. 
He may have been doing his own stuff, tending his own animals, dealing with his own home and his own family. He may have already made plans with, with friends or with even his brother and, and had already had things that he had going on. He may have had a million other good, viable excuses to say, I don't want to go. I have other things going on. But all of these excuses were overridden by his love and respect and gratitude towards his father. And so he went. See, that's the reality so often when, when we have to ask this question of ourselves is, is whatever excuses that you try to hold up to God for why you don't serve him, you have to ask yourself, whatever that excuse is, I'm really busy. My job has a huge demand on me. I want to spend time with my kids. I've got a lot of work around the house. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. If you hold that up to God, can you honestly go to God and say, God, I love and treasure and respect these things more than you? Because when you make excuses, that's what you're doing. You're saying, God, I love you but I love this more. And the first son couldn't do that. The first son, he said, I don't want to go. And he could have brought out a thousand excuses. We don't know what it was for why he didn't want to go. But ultimately he said, but I don't love these things more than I love my father. And so I will go to the field and I will work. And that's what he did. See, what we have in this first son is a beautiful picture of repentance. He didn't do the right thing right off the bat. Right off the bat, he responded in the flesh. He responded because he wanted to do his own thing. But he repented. He changed his mind. He changed course and went to do what God had called him to do. As I thought about this, I was really reminded of Jonah and how he repented in, in, in the book of Jonah. And in Jonah chapter 2, starting in verse 7, it says this. It says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who, who are followers of worthless idols abandon their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. See, Jonah repented of his own idolatry, of his wanting his own way instead of doing what God commanded him to do. And the moment that he finally cried out to the Lord from the belly of the fish, then it said that the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. And then after this, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A lot of times, we don't get things right on the first try. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we don't get things right on the first try. We may not get on the second. We may get it right on the third, but then mess up on the fourth, and then so on and so forth. But when we follow God in a spirit of repentance... And we actually change course and do what God is calling us to do. We have the same response that Jonah had. God is ready and able and willing to forgive us our sin and begin to use us anew. 
That is the very reason why when we present the gospel up on the screen, we always end with God's desire for us to recover and pursue His design for our life. We don't have to get everything right every time. And I've got a a, a spoiler for you. You won't get everything right every time. But when we walk in a spirit of repentance saying, God, I need you every day. God will continue to show us the right way and there will always be an opportunity to return to the vineyard and to the work that God has called us to do. However, the response of the second son seems to be very different. As we jump down to verse 30, we see these words. The second son responds by saying, I will, sir. And yet he did not go. Very different from the first son. This son tells his father exactly what he wanted to hear. Yes, sir. I will go. Absolutely, dad. You know what? I was just thinking that myself. I should go to the vineyard and help my dad. He told him exactly what he wanted to hear, exactly what he thought everyone else would want him to hear. And yet, his actions spoke something very different. See, his actions revealed that he did not actually respect, love, or have the same gratitude for his father as the first one. While the first one's reaction was initially, was initially no, but then because of his love for his father, he went. The second one says yes, but has no love for his father, or at least not as much love for his father as what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And so he stayed home. He paid lip service to his father, but his actions revealed the truth of his heart. It revealed his desires, his lusts, and his passions. Jesus had already accused the religious leaders of this very behavior. In Matthew 15, starting in verse 7, he says this, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you by saying, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. While the first example was an an example of repentance, the second one is an example of religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy is when we pray to God, when we go to church, when we use the terminology, say the right thing, say it the right way, but doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, the moment we are away from church folk, church buildings, or church services. There are too many people today claiming to be Christians and yet live their life every day as though they have no idea who Jesus is or what it means to please him. And brothers and sisters, this is something we have to apply to ourselves. It does you no good to look around the room or look at the people who are not here and accuse them of the religious hypocrisy. But each and every one of us has to look at ourselves. We have to ask ourselves this one simple question is, would my life be any different if I were not a Christian? 
with the, with, the, with the one exception of my Sunday mornings would be freed up. Do I go through my work day? Do I go through my personal life? Do I engage in my relationships and in my hobbies in such a way that reveal I have no love, respect, or honor towards God? And if somebody did not know me, there would be no way for them to tell that I am a follower of Jesus. How would your life be different? How would your thoughts be different? How would your conversations be different? If the reality in your heart is they would not be different, then are you sure you are following the Savior? Jesus ended this passage by pointing that finger directly at the chief priests and elders. See, Jesus gets to point the finger, we do not. And he said this to them, For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even have a second thought afterwards so as to believe them. Jesus is saying that this may look like you are doing the right things. You may act all religious and you may act like you have all the answers and you know all the things. But their faith was in the things of God. These sinners and these prostitutes, they didn't put their faith in temples and sacrifices and clothing and holidays. They put their faith in God and in his word and in the truth. The Pharisees, the scribes, the high priests, the religious leaders, they had placed their faith in stuff. And guys, make no mistake, just because we're a Baptist church in North America all this time, we can still place our faith in stuff. We can put our faith in a church building. We can put our faith in our name on a church roll. We can put our faith in a style of worship or a type of preaching that we prefer We can put our faith in this North American Christian culture and still not put our faith in God. So that we will listen to the music, but we do not apply the word to our heart. However, Jesus then points the finger to these people that he identifies as tax collectors and prostitutes. Ones that have been labeled as outcasts and sinners in the society. And he says, these people will come into heaven ahead of you. Instead of you. Because their faith was not put in things. But put in the God who saved them and redeemed them from their sins. We have to ask ourselves today, who are we? Which son am I? And we need to really ask this question. Are we the second son who claims to follow Christ, but really is only interested in what God can do for him? Do we talk the talk but fail to walk the walk because it might cost us something that we want? Is God in a relationship with him not the end, but merely a means to an end? And if so, brothers and sisters, we need to repent. 
we need to take that to the Lord and say, I am so sorry. Because God, I have made you the means to something and not the most important thing in my life. Or are we this first son? Do we recognize our disobedience towards God? Do we see our sin, maybe even each and every day, and choose to repent? Do we seek to, to do more than just pay lip service to God, but to actually try to live for Him every day and in every circumstance? Do we do the things that God has called us to do? Do we make disciples of all nations? Do we love God and love our brothers and sisters? Do we share Christ with people and do we sacrifice not only of our money, but of our time and our, uh, and our things to see the gospel and the kingdom go forth? I pray that is what we choose today. I pray that, that even if that means starting today for the very first time, that that's what we do. Every single person in this room can choose today to be that first son. Every single person in this room can start today by saying, God, for this long of my life, I've said I will not go. I do not want to. But today I'm thinking better. But today I regret that decision. But today I repent of my sin. And God, wherever you lead, I'll go. And we go to the vineyard. And we do what God's called us to do, how God's called us to do it. And we trust him for the harvest. If that is your desire today, then we pray that you will take that to the Lord. And whether that means receiving Christ for the very first time today or rededicating your life to the one who you said you're going to follow, brothers and sisters, it is time to go to the vineyard. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we come before you now, God, and we have been given these two examples of these two sons who, who made two very different responses to the Father. And God, I pray with all my heart that I will be and that all of us will choose to be that first son. God, I know and you know that everyone in this room at some point in their life has looked, you, looked at you and, and has looked at your word and has said, but God, I don't want to. And so, Lord, I pray that today is the day that all of us repent and we go about doing our work. Lord, I pray that your spirit will reveal to us the areas of our life where we are telling you that we don't want to. God, I pray that you will reveal to each and every one of us the, the places that we are holding back from you and the excuses that we are clinging to, that we deep down in our, our soul love more than you. And Lord, I pray that we will cast down those idols, that we will ultimately annihilate all of them and we will come to you in a spirit of repentance and say, here I am, send me. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. God, we praise you because you are the God who is waiting to hear those words. And when we say them, you will receive us to yourself. 
And so, God, we pray this prayer, and we praise your name. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Together, we're going to sing number five, seven.